leftovers, or the DMV, or house cleaning, or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe from way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron for three for the win! Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan! It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Gary Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me this week, I've got a very special guest. He's a regular on the program. He's also a fellow sports business classroom alum. You can find him on Twitter at Blazers by Sager, Sager spelled S-A-G-A-R. Sager Tricka, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, Sager has has agreed to join me in uh, trying to break down what was a very busy and hectic NBA trade deadline Thursday. And uh, we've got a lot of deals to discuss, some of the blockbuster variety, some more in the, uh, the minor variety, but we're going to try and tackle them all. And uh, so, Sagar, I say we get started with this, uh, with this big deal. Ben Simmons was finally traded. As, uh, and I'll, I'll break down the details here. The Philadelphia 76ers send the disgruntled forward along with Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and their own 2022 first-round pick, which uh, Brooklyn can actually defer that pick to the following year in 2023 if they so choose. And then also the Philadelphia's 2027 first, protected one through eight for two years, and then becomes the Philadelphia 2028 second, I believe. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, To the Brooklyn Nets for James Harden, and Paul Millsap. So Sagar, first off, were you expecting a Simmons trade to get done here? And you know, what were your initial impressions of the of the actual deal? I wasn't at all until about 20 minutes before it happened. And I think the deal honestly looks pretty good for both sides. I think Brooklyn, given the circumstances of Harden not wanting to be there, made out pretty well. 
yeah, it's it's a decent package. I think the inclusion of the inclusion of Seth Curry is big for the Nets as well, given Joe Harris's injury issues, and and we still don't exactly know if he's going to come back this year. It's been quite an, an injury for him with the, I believe, a left ankle sprain that he's had multiple setbacks on. So not only getting Simmons as a replacement for Harden, you know, with some of that, you know, he's he's not as good of an offensive player as James Harden, obviously, but he he provides some of that passing, some of that playmaking. And then also that extra element of, of really good defense. And then, yeah, you get Seth Curry as sort of a, a Joe Harris replacement in, her, in, in a certain respects. And then also, yeah, those two first-round picks. So, so a decent haul, but then, you know, Philadelphia is going to be content getting the, the best player in this deal in hard. Yeah, and I think, like, I know there was haggling in the last however many minutes before the deadline over Matisse Steibel as he might have been a sticking point. I had seen one report saying that in a structure of the deal where uh, Brooklyn would have gotten him but given up Patty Mills. And obviously, to get Seth Curry and lose Patty Mills is kind of not a wash, but they do similar things in terms of offensive spacing. Yeah. Uh, so the fact that Brooklyn could keep both guys, as in get Seth Curry and keep Patty Mills, uh, helps to mitigate that Joe Harris potential loss. Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's also important that they uh... – you know, that they have Patty Mills in the event that they have a first round series against the Toronto Raptors and Kyrie Irving can't play. So it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things that the Mets have to have to factor in here, but, uh, yeah, I, I, um, I, I guess my next question for you, Sagar is how do you feel about the, the, the new look Sixers after this move? So presumably, uh, you'll, you'll have, the likes of, of Maxi, Harden, Harris, and Embiid in that starting lineup. Not sure exactly who, who would be the fifth guy there, but how do you feel about that sort of core for, for a, a playoff run here in, uh, in May? It sounds pretty good on paper, right? Yeah. I think that they're going to get a lot of free throws with Harden and Embiid, which might make it a tough watch, but, but they'll be effective, I think, offensively at least. And then defensively, having guys like Embiid and Thibel there to mitigate what Harden can't do uh, is not the worst case scenario. That seems pretty good to me. Yeah. The, the concern being though, that Harden is, is not great in, in non switching schemes and the Sixers kind of are forced into that with Embiid, although Embiid is capable of switching, you know, in, in emergency situations, but uh, yeah, the defensive fit is going to be fascinating and then also, you know, I, I'm sure that the the Sixers will, like they did when uh, when Daryl Morey was with Houston and had Chris Paul and James Harden, they staggered those guys pretty significantly. I would anticipate something similar happening in Philly with, with Embiid and Harden, wouldn't you? I would, too. I was going to actually mention that because I know that Sixers fans have had issue with uh, Doc Rivers' lack of staggering. Yes. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see whether or not he – he changes that and actually does stagger the way we think he should. Right. And I think the, not only just uh, the staggering obviously would help with having one of Harden and Embiid on the floor at all times, but also to me, offensively, I don't know if they are a perfect fit (laughs) um, playing together. And so, you know, if they aren't fully maximizing each other's talents playing together, then yeah, you want to, you want to separate them as much as possible. 
Exactly. I mean, you have a guy like Joel Embiid who is having an MVP caliber season. You want the ball in his hands, doing what he does best. And and Harden, while he's very great, obviously, like he's a fantastic player, uh, kind of goes contrary to that. Yeah. So, you know, another thing with with Philly and, and this move, obviously, Simmons was not playing for their current team. And you essentially will, will swap out Seth Curry and and replace him with James Harden in the rotation. That's obviously that's obviously an upgrade, but uh, you know, especially given they also threw out a couple of first round picks. Do you feel like it's enough of an upgrade to put the Sixers now in the top tier of title contenders? I think so. I think if if they're going to get the version of Harden that's engaged and, and trying. And not the version that we saw in Houston before that trade, or in the last couple of weeks with Brooklyn. Uh, how long is gonna, how long has it been now since we we saw an engaged Harden that was actually trying? It? <laughs> I can't remember because when he's been engaged, he's also been hurt with the hamstring injury, right? Yeah. So I don't remember the last time we've seen Harden at hundred percent. Maybe sometime in the playoffs last year. Um, if they're getting that healthy and engaged version of Harden, I think it is a pretty significant upgrade. But I don't know how likely that is. Yeah. And then there's also just the the element of like, you know, he is what, 33 or going to be 33 soon, I think. And uh, as, as you mentioned, he's dealt with these hamstring issues the last couple of years. So like, is James Harden, even, even when he's trying his best, is he still a top 10 player? Because Daryl Morey is making that bet and, and sending out assets that, indicates that he still is and he believes that he still is but if he's not that um you know yeah I, I would still say that they're probably a step below the likes of of Brooklyn and and Milwaukee yeah that seems fair to me I almost wonder like I know it's a minor piece in the trade relative to James Harden and Ben Simmons but Philadelphia included Andre Drummond in this deal and he was kind of playing their backup uh backup to uh Joel Embiid and I'm not familiar with the roster enough to know who's going to soak up those minutes and how effective whoever that is might be. So what do you think about that? Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's a good point to make. I, I've never been, I've never been a fan of Andre Drummond, but yeah, as a backup center, he's, he's been fine for them. Um, yeah, I'm not a huge fan of his either, but to get a guy like that on a minimum contract and who can at least hold on the fort a little bit while an MVP is out, out of the game. Uh, is valuable enough right and looking again looking at this roster they they do have guys like George Niang and uh, and Paul Reed I suppose could could potentially step in there that my guess is that they're they're probably just gonna go small with uh, and 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 play five out type of lineups maybe when when Embiid sits and really try to space the floor for Harden um, and, and obviously in certain matchups, that's going to be easier than others. Like, I think they can right. get away with that against the Nets, for instance, but can you get away with that against the Bucs? I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that would be something to watch over these next few weeks and couple months going into the playoffs is, is our teams able to take advantage of that mismatch when Embiid's not in the game and how much of a liability does it become? Absolutely. Well, yeah, this, uh, that was obviously the, the biggest news of the day, and uh, of course, you know, Daryl Morey, a lot of people were giving him a hard time over 
his asking price for Ben Simmons. And I think all of that was fair because, you know, I actually think Ben Simmons was fairly valued in this deal, essentially saying he's, he's nowhere near as good as James Harden. <laughs> so the, the Sixers had to throw in a bunch of extra assets on top of Simmons. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that patience, I guess it'll, it'll depend on, yeah, what, what type of James Harden they're getting. And, and you have to factor in that they're probably going to extend him most likely. And, and how's, how does James Harden look in two or three years time, especially if they're not able to win the championship this year, he's likely just to get, he's going to get worse and worse as, as time goes on. But um, yeah, fascinating, fascinating move. And I'm, I'm glad we can finally get over the the drama, both in Philly and Brooklyn and, and move on a little bit yeah. and hopefully get to see Ben Simmons on a basketball court. That'd be fun. I've, I've missed it, honestly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, another big name, uh, another big name was traded today, a kind of a, a out of nowhere type of deal here, but the Dallas Mavericks sent Kristaps Porzingis and their own 2022 second round pick to the Washington Wizards for the combination of Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans. So a uh, very, very interesting deal here, Sager, where Dallas is sending out extra value in picks for a couple of guys in Dinwiddie and Bertans who have not particularly played that well for, for Washington. And also, uh, you know, you, you can, you can say what you will about Porzingis's inability to stay on the floor and that he might be overpaid given those durability concerns, but he's been better this year. And those, those guys in Washington have, have, have pretty much struggled all season long. Yeah. It felt like I've never been a big Porzingis fan. I, I've called him things I should not call him in terms of his quality on the floor. Um, and so to see him having the season he was having when he was on the floor was impressive. And also, I guess, it, like you said, it makes this kind of trade all the more surprising. Um, when it first came out, I in group text, I called it heinous. Um, so the logic for it, I'm still struggling to find it for Dallas. Yeah, uh, you know, Dinwiddie is under 50% effective field goal percentage. Berton is shooting 33% from three on the season. So, you know, based on their actual performance on the floor this year, yeah, it is, it is, it is a struggle to comprehend from the, from the Mavs perspective. I will say, though, that even, you know, as, as recent as this past offseason, I actually really like the idea of Dinwiddie on the Mavericks. I thought he was kind of the perfect type of player that could play off the ball and had the size to defend multiple positions when Luca was on the floor. And then also when Luca was off, he could give them an extra playmaker, but he just has not been efficient at all this year. Um, so, so Dallas is very much betting on the fact that Dinwiddie will be better with them then, you know, and, and maybe play at the level that he did a few seasons ago prior to that ACL injury than, than he played so far in, in 30-plus games with the Wizards. Yeah, it's interesting to see Dallas kind of, in terms of contracts, is they took the Porzingis deal, which is, I think, considered, I think he was considered widely overpaid for both Dinwiddie and Bertans. And you talked about Dinwiddie having a down year relative to what we had hoped he would be coming off the ACL. But Davis Bertans has also been a pretty bad, like he's had a bad season given his expectations based on that contract. And so 
I wonder almost maybe if Dallas is splitting up that big one, one big contract into two smaller ones that they can kind of uh, move in other deals of the deals in the future if they want to. Um, but it's hard to tell, obviously. Yeah. Like, again, the theory of Dinwiddie and Bertans, if when they're playing well, I think works. But yeah, uh, yeah the, the challenge here is just saying, OK, you're you're trading for two guys that have not been the ideal version of themselves <laughs> as of late. So, uh, yeah, it is it is an interesting bet. And I do think it's just a, a bet on. We just can't trust Porzingis to be healthy when it matters. And that's hard yeah. when, when you've committed that much of your cap to one player and he's consistently out of the lineup and you can't rely on him. That's that's tough. Right. We talk about Porzingis playing really well this season and having a great season uh, to the point that maybe his trade value is at its maximum. And even at such a point, he's still missing quite a few games. So if you're Dallas and think that this is the best time to sell him and and get guys who can at least play. I can kind of see that logic a little bit. Well, and the other interesting thing for the Mavs is the idea that Jalen Brunson is going to enter free agency this year. So having Dinwiddie in the fold also gives them a bit of an out if if Brunson just gets a massive contract offer. And I know they've mentioned uh, reports have mentioned like Detroit as a team with with both the money and the interest to sign them. So the idea of Dinwiddie being potentially insurance or should, should they lose Brunson? That makes sense as well. Yeah. So, yeah, if uh, if they're not willing to pay Brunson what he wants or if he just decides he doesn't want to be in Dallas for whatever reason, yeah, it's it's good to have another another ball handler because Dallas is lacking that. They've, they've really built this roster around just a bunch of 3 and D guys around Luka. So, you know, again, I, that that's where the, the theory of Dinwiddie makes sense because he, he can – be a guy that can hold his own on defense while being able to play off the ball and on the ball. So, um, yeah, yeah, another team you, you mentioned that you're going to be excited to watch the likes of Philadelphia and Brooklyn in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to be very excited to see what, what Dallas looks like here in, in the near future. Yeah. And on Washington's side, I, I don't quite understand what they're doing either. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know Bradley Beal obviously suffered a season-ending injury he's going to have surgery for. So the idea of, of acquiring this, I mean, Porzingis, a guy who was under contract for quite a bit, of, a large sum of money for, for a few more years, uh, when Beal could theoretically walk away and, and put you into a rebuild, feels almost counterintuitive to me. Yeah, I mean, it, it could, uh, who knows if it behind the scenes, it's Beal saying that, hey, I, I, I need a second star here, bring me somebody that, to make me, or, you know, to to appease me essentially. So that, that could be it. It could just be another situation where they're, they've kind of been a, a middle of the road team for a while now. And they, they, they feel like Porzingis can, can sell tickets, you know, <laughs> he is, yeah. a, he is a big name. So there are those things to consider, but I agree with you that the, the actual bat, like if you're, if you're considering it from just a purely a basketball perspective, that it is a little perplexing. Yeah. Another move that the Wizards made involved uh, them and the Charlotte Hornets. The, the Hornets sent out Ish Smith, Vernon Carey, and a second-round pick to the Wizards for Montrez Harrell. So Washington bringing in Porzingis from the Mavs and sending out Harrell to the Hornets. Uh, an interesting, interesting move there. And yeah, they get a second-round pick and and a couple of a uh, couple of guards. Yeah. 
It's the Ishmith return, isn't it? Yes. Um, Although I feel like at this point, Ishmith has played for about 28 of the 30 teams. You could tell me that and I would believe it. <laughs> How do you feel about Harrell in Charlotte? You know, this has been a team that has, you know, has been really strong offensively and has struggled defensively. And that basically sums up Harrell as a player. Yeah. I mean, he's not going to help with those defensive woes, but he's definitely going to be fun to watch on offense playing with a, a passer like LaMelo Ball. Yeah, I guess they're they're just uh, going all in on offense, accepting that that's their strength, and uh, going to try to win games one sixty nine to one sixty four, and, <laughs> and, uh, and go from there. But uh, as far as the timeline, which one came first for Washington, the the Porzingis deal or the Harold deal? I believe the Harold deal came first. Okay, so yeah, I'm assuming that. Uh, that, that they made these moves sort of in concert. And we'll, we'll talk about a few other teams that made multiple deals. And in part, I think, because they, they had other, other deals in the works, right? But um, yeah. yeah, you know, I guess Washington gets, uh, gets a couple of second round picks for bringing in Porzingis and sending out Harrell and, uh, you know, Probably actually like a bit of an upgrade as far as the the talent there with Porzingis. So you know, not not terrible business there. Although as you mentioned, they are they are taking on that Porzingis contract for the next few years. Yeah, and I think depending on what happens with Beal and free agency this summer, uh, they could theoretically bring him back and and try and run with a two headed monster featuring Beal and Porzingis, and hope that that works. I'm skeptical that it would, but it's a lot, of, a lot of mid-rangers with that duo. Yes. Uh, and I fear probably not the best defense. <laughs> right. All right. So let's let's move on to a couple of deals that uh, that your favorite team made, Sager. And uh, I, I know you're not necessarily that excited to discuss these, <laughs> these <laughs> trades, but but you know we're we're completionists here at Duncan Dynasty, so we're going to try to get through all of these. Um, so the the first one, which came you know a few days ago, the the Portland Trailblazers sent out Norman Powell, Robert Covington, to the uh, Los Angeles Clippers for the likes of Keon Johnson, Eric Bledsoe, Justice Winslow, and a Detroit Pistons 2025 second round pick. So uh, before we get to the the other deal that came later, you know, what were your initial initial thoughts on on this one? Uh, complete shock. <laughs> uh, the season hasn't gone as planned. Obviously, that they're not in the playoff picture. Uh, but to see them trade away a guy who they just paid ninety million dollars to in the offseason for the likes of Eric Bledsoe and Justice Winslow, nice players, but not needle movers. Uh, Keon Johnson, a rookie who hasn't played much and a second round pick three years later, uh, seemed kind of unappealing. Yeah. And, and to include Robert Covington in the deal when surely he could have had more value in a different trade for a second round pick or two elsewhere. Uh, it felt like there was, if you were intent on trading those two players, Powell and Covington, there was probably a better offer elsewhere. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because yeah, not only, not only did they pay Powell ninety million, as you mentioned, but they also sent out Gary Tread Jr. to acquire him. They right. sent out multiple firsts to get Robert Covington. So when you just look at it from that perspective, 
you know, two first and Gary Trent Jr. for Keon Johnson, Eric Bledsoe, Justice Winslow, and a Detroit 2025 second. That doesn't sound so great, right? No, it, it looks quite bad. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's worth mentioning, like, they got a season's worth of play from Powell and one and a half from Covington. And in their time in Portland, they were both fine players. Um, but obviously, like you said, on paper, it, it looks a lot worse. It looks pretty bad. It feels bad. So um, I'm going to try to be optimistic here, Sagar, and uh, you know, try to try to spin this as a positive for Portland in, in some respects. One, they they did they did uh, save a lot of money with this deal. Yes. Um, they they also, as as we mentioned, got a got a second round pick, and you mentioned that Covington probably on his own was worth one or two seconds. So you yes. can you can almost say that Covington was was uh, traded for that Detroit 2025 second. And then Powell, in essence, was traded for Keon Johnson, who they who the Blazers value as basically a first round draft pick. Yeah. Um, you know, he was drafted, I think, 19th overall by 21st. Yeah. Or, excuse me. 21st overall by the uh, by the Clippers in this past draft. And Portland must have been pretty high on him uh, on their own personal board. And I actually really liked Keon Johnson doing a little bit of study on him myself. He's an unbelievable athlete, uh, I believe like a 48 inch vertical at the combine. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he projects to me to be a pretty strong defensive player. He is very raw from a skill perspective, but uh, this was something I noticed you, you tweeted out as well was the idea that, that the Blazers in, in recent memory have focused on drafting guys that are kind of raw, but good athletes with decent length. And right. Johnson fits that bill. Yeah, I thought that was more of a Neil O'Shea thing. Uh, and obviously he's not in the promise anymore. But he drafted guys like Zach Collins, Anthony Simons, Nasir Little, and, and most recently Greg Brown III this past year. Um, so to see them kind of targeting the same kinds of traits, even post-Olshay, shows me that it was more of an organizational thing. And in that line of thinking, like you said, they probably had him pretty high on their board last year. And... I think the Clippers probably also prioritized him too. They traded up to get him in the draft. So it's clear that they value him like a first round pick. Yeah. And, and honestly, it's, I suppose this, <laughs> this relates to a lot of prospects, but a lot of this is just going to come down to, can he be at least just, you know, like a 35% three point shooter, because yeah. as soon as that happens, I think his athleticism to be able to attack, to attack closeouts and finish at the rim uh, is going to be is going to be something that he could do with with relative consistency, and then also being that that uh, positive presence on the defensive end. Like if yeah. you know if he's going to become above an average starting player, he's also going to have to massively improve that that ball handling, that handle uh, as yeah. well. But uh, you know, I I I am I'm really high on Keon Johnson. So from from that perspective, I do I do. Uh, I do like this for Portland in some respects, although yeah, Powell and Covington was a lot to give up and yeah. it is very reliant. This trade being a success for the Blazers is very reliant on, on Johnson panning out. Yeah. Now the, the other deal that, uh, that Portland did featured a player that, uh, that you care about even more because he's been around longer and that is uh, CJ McCollum. They sent uh, the Blazers sent McCollum, Larry Nance Jr., 
and Tony Snell to the New Orleans Pelicans for a package involving Josh Hart, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Thomas Sadoransky, Didi Luzada, and New Orleans' own 2022 first-round pick with some interesting protections here. The, the Pelicans protected the pick one through four, so if they jump up in the lottery, the Pelicans keep it. And the Blazers protected the pick 15 to 30. So uh, the the pick goes to Portland if it lands between 5 and 14. Otherwise, the pick becomes Milwaukee's 2025 first, and that is also protected 1 through 4. And uh, if it doesn't doesn't, uh, convert by 2025, then it becomes 2 seconds, I believe. And uh, there's also a New Orleans 2027 second thrown in there as well. So a lot of a lot of complicated uh, draft dynamics there. But another another case of Portland, you know, they invested the 10th overall pick in the draft a while back on C.J. McCollum. They've built him up as a player. They've extended him. They traded a first round pick to get Larry Nance Jr. And in essence, they're getting. Josh Hart, who is a who is a quality player and yeah, one sure. first round pick back in return. Yeah, at first blush, when I first saw this on uh, Tuesday morning, it felt quite underwhelming for a guy who has been a fixture both in the community and on the team for the better part of a decade. Um, and a guy who's had obviously some iconic moments, including in a playoff series uh, to go to the Western Conference Finals. Right. Uh, so just in terms of like an emotional aspect, it felt like they didn't get enough in this deal to make it worth trading a franchise pillar. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, it seems clear that the team felt like they had reached a breaking point with the idea of the Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum backcourt and that something had to change. Yeah. And, you know, the other possible benefit to, to all of this, to both of these deals for the Blazers. And I know this isn't something you, you love to hear as a fan, but that it could make them worse for this year, which would improve their own first round draft pick, which, you know, could help facilitate a, a, a quicker rebuild. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's, I know that's, I know that's tough to swallow as far as um, the, the new Orleans side of things, they obviously are hoping to get Zion back at some point, but uh, you know, they've got CJ for a few years after this with that contract. So how do you feel like the fit is with CJ and the likes of uh, Brandon Ingram, Jonas Valanciunas, and uh, and Zion? I like it a lot. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think at first you see CJ McCollum, you know, he's over 30. He doesn't really fit with their timeline with uh, Zion and Ingram. But this is a guy who, for a team that had a backcourt as rough as New Orleans has been, uh, this is a guy who's going to get you instant offense if he's shooting well obviously if he's in a slump it's a bit different but uh a guy who you can go to to get a bucket down the stretch when you when you need one and and for a team that doesn't have that right now i mean obviously you hope zion becomes that when he's healthy but he hasn't been healthy thus far and so uh for a team that seems destined or seems intent on making a playoff push or at least a play-in push uh cj will help him greatly in that i think yeah um Absolutely. I think he'll he'll be a big boost this year, and I'm sure Portland fans will be watching them and, and hoping he doesn't help them too much because yes. they, uh, 
they want that pick to land somewhere in that five to 14 range. But yeah, uh, it's a tough dynamic. Yeah. Um, but as far as my initial thought, you know, obviously McCollum is a great player. But my initial thought was, okay, you've got Zion, you've got Brandon Ingram, you've got Devontae Graham, you've got C.J. McCollum. Now, obviously, three of those four guys are are, are good three-point shooters and, and can play off the ball. But it's also like, you know, most all four of those guys, their best skill is probably on-ball creation. Yes. So, so it's a bit of like, okay, are we actually getting a, a mesh of skills here with our top guys that that works and and not only – uh, is a good fit, but sort of maximizes our talent. I, I don't know if that's the case. That's a fair concern. And I think it's tough because you see a team like throughout the season so far, they've struggled in that regard in terms of when Ingram can't get his shot off or is being defended too well. Uh, Devontae Graham has, has struggled to do that. Uh, I think the idea is that CJ will relieve pressure off Ingram so that they have two guys they can go to for that on-ball creation if they need to. Um, and in theory, that idea works well. I, th- I think that it makes a lot of sense. I think that when defense, when Zion gets back, you know, hopefully he returns healthy. Uh, the idea of him putting so much stress on def- defenses at the rim uh, should hopefully create spacing for guys like CJ and Ingram and Devontae Graham to you know shoot the ball well. Yeah. And, you know, the offensive theory, I think, makes a lot of sense. You know, you've got in, in Graham and McCollum, two guys that can run pick and roll and, and hit those off the dribble threes. And then you've got two guys in, in Zion and Ingram who can who can isolate effectively. So they, they can have a lot of different options, a lot of different ways to attack defenses. But, um, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on on Larry Nance Jr.'s fit here as well in uh, with the Pelicans? You know, he's a guy that can. They can ma- they can maybe play as a small ball center and allow them to switch with certain units, um, but it's also a situation where Zion is a four. Brandon Egram can play some four. They've got Valanciunas. Like how many minutes are there for for uh, for Nance Jr.? Well, I'm not sure if you saw this or not, but he's not going to be playing for a while. Right. He's having knee surgery. Yes. So did that keep that knocks him out for this whole season? Correct. But uh, I believe a reevaluation in six weeks. So much of it. Okay. Um, obviously we hope he's okay. And, and that's not a serious long-term issue. And he's still, uh, but he's still under contract for next year. Correct. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think next year's his last year under contract. And so the idea of him being able to play that small ball five, when the matchup dictates, what uh, that Jonas Valanciunas, they haven't mentioned his name. Uh, when you can't play him in those tougher matchups, I think the idea of Nance being that small ball five who can, you know, shoot a bit, uh, spot up at the three point line. He can pass a bit um, to get him in as like a throw in in this deal almost. Uh, it's a good get just so that even if you don't play him, he's still an asset you can use in a trade later if you want to. Absolutely. Um, and then obviously Portland getting, uh, you know, Josh Hart. I think he's a quality, quality starting shooting guard. Uh, they, they got Nikhil Alexander Walker, who they later traded. We'll get to that trade here momentarily. Yeah. Um, and then, Sadoransky, did they did they uh, buy out Sadoransky or what's the what's the situation with him? He got traded in Actually, the same deal. Yes, yeah. yeah. Alexander Walker and Sadoransky got traded. You're you're correct. Um, they they also got Didi Luzada. They have they, the the Blazers have held on to him, right? Yes, he's still on the roster. Yeah, he was a guy. I think uh, he was a early second round pick 
a few years yeah. back. And uh, he's a guy that I think has still has some potential as a three and D. I think the defense is more realized than the three at this point. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he's worth a he's worth a shot and the Blazers might have some time for him. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting move for, for both sides. And, and really, New Orleans says they obviously have a bunch of, of picks still from the, the trades of Anthony Davis and, and Drew Holiday. But, uh, you know, they really have fired a lot of their bullets as far as their cap space is concerned. Yeah, and it makes you wonder, like, so this New Orleans uh, group featuring Devontae Graham, TJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Jonas Valanciunas, Zion Williamson, if, he, if and when he gets healthy, and then Herb Jones, who's been great for them defensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much that how much damage that unit can do because since their one and twelve start they've actually been pretty damn good. They've been alive, I believe, like five hundred or maybe a game above. Yeah, and like that's not a great playoff team, but it's a lot better than what what we expected from them. And if adding McCollum can elevate them even more, uh, they can become a play in threat and maybe make a make make a playoff series. Yeah, I will say, though, the defense is going to continue to be a concern. You know, you talk about Devontae Graham and C.J. McCollum. I, I really like that as an offensive backcourt. I right. really dislike that as a defensive backcourt. Yeah, it's like I know in the uh, the day leading up to the to this actual trade, uh, there were rumors of Atlanta having interest in McCollum and the idea of pairing Trey Young with C.J. McCollum. That's, that's not great either, especially after seeing a decade of Dame and C.J. To want to repeat that seems like an odd choice. Right. And, and, you know, I think Portland tried their, their darndest to get like a really good defensive front court to, to work with Damon CJ. And that still didn't work. Now you, you can, you can argue that wasn't all Damon CJ's fault and it probably wasn't, but still there is just like probably a ceiling that you're, you're limited to when you've got that small of a backcourt defensively. Uh, And it's hard to recall a time that a team won a championship with a, with a backcourt that small. Yeah, and the Pelicans do not have a good defensive front court either. So, nope. uh, yeah, it, it'll be it'll be fascinating. Like, yeah, I think they're going to be a fun team to watch, especially once Zion returns. But um, I find it hard to see how that team, you know, is making this a conference finals or you know actually competing at any level, barring you know them use, utilizing some of their picks that they have to get a legitimate uh, another legitimate star in there. Yeah, I think they're not going to be able to compete with a team like a Phoenix or a Golden State. That's going to be tough for them. But I imagine that's not their goal this season, given where they have been the last few years. My guess is that their management probably just wanted to make the play-in or the playoffs. And with this trade, I think they're capable, if they can just win a couple of playing games, that they're there. All right, so let's get to the uh, – we've got one more Portland trade to get through. Uh, they were very busy. And, uh, again, yes. I got the perfect I got the perfect guy to discuss this with here with me. Um, so this was a three-team trade, and I think it's easier with these just to talk about uh, and and fill in any uh, things that I miss here, Sager. But uh, yeah. with, with three, three or four-team trades, I'm just going to go through each individual team and say what they got and, and what they gave up, essentially. So That's in this three-team deal, it involved the Portland Trailblazers, the Utah Jazz, and the San Antonio Spurs. I'll start with Portland. They get Joe Ingles, Elijah Hughes, and a 2022 Memphis second-round pick. 
and they lose Thomas Sadaransky and Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who they had gotten in that C.J. McCollum deal. Yes, that's correct. Okay, and then Utah, they get Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Juancho Hernan Gomez, and they lose Joe Ingles and Elijah Hughes. And two second-round picks, the Memphis one and then one to San Antonio. Gotcha. Okay, and then San Antonio gets Thomas Sadaransky and and the the other second round pick from Utah, and yeah. then they lose Juancho Hernan Gomez. Yeah, and that second round pick that San Antonio gets is the worst of four different 2027 second round picks uh, from Houston, Indiana, Miami, or OKC. So whichever one is the worst, San Antonio will now get. Okay, so um, I think the really the the only interesting element of this is just what Utah did in my opinion because this Utah is the team here that's actually competing at this stage and right. had an opportunity with Joe Ingles's contract to uh, and with potential draft picks to get an actual upgrade an actual guy that could could help their team compete for a championship this year and I don't feel like they did that they they no, they're going after Alexander Walker who has some potential still he's still a young a young guy a former first round pick but the current version of Nikhil Alexander Walker is not a rotation player for the Utah Jazz yeah you know you heard their name mentioned when it came to like Eric Gordon potentially like uh, Joe Ingles Eric Gordon kind of swap and and that didn't come to fruition obviously um so to go from that idea to Nikhil Alexander Walker who's not going to play in the rotation I would assume uh, has to be a letdown for the Jazz fans. Yeah, and you also wonder, you know, I understand Joe Ingles just tore his ACL, so he's likely going to be out for the majority of next season as well. Uh, so I understand there might be limited value, and you're also, for the present, you're getting nothing from him. But I almost wonder if it's more value. It would have been more valuable for Utah to just keep Joe Ingles so that they would have his bird rights for future seasons. Yeah, it's something that, you know, as a Portland fan, when we acquired those bird rights, I considered how valuable they are and, and wondered why Utah would give them up that easily. I think it might come down to saving money, potentially, for this season, yeah. which, if that's the case, that doesn't feel like the right method to send your fans or your players. Um, but they made that choice. Well, yeah, and I think multiple teams that are, you know, in, in position to make win now moves and could have spent money to improve their chances actually did the opposite in Utah and we'll get to Milwaukee later. But uh, was there anything else interesting from, from Portland or San Antonio's perspective about this trade that was worth mentioning? I can't speak to the Spurs perspective. It seems pretty bland to me. Yeah. To swap out basically watch Hernan Gomez for Sadaransky and a, and a future second round pick five years from now. Um, on the Portland side, this kind of this whole set of trades really indicates their belief in Anthony Simons, I think, mm -hmm. and probably their intent to retain him this summer when he becomes a restricted free agent. Um, and and what that the implication of that is for a guy like you said earlier, uh, a starting caliber two guard in Josh Hart, whose contract for next year is not guaranteed. Um, it makes that dynamic interesting because if Hart does seem to want to start uh i would guess that their plan is to have simon start so i don't know what what that might look like but it's something to keep an eye on i think 
Yeah, and it's you also made bringing that up made me think too, like you know, with with Simons with Hart in there already, it's like where was Nikhil Alexander Walker going to fit in there? So it, right. it kind of makes sense that they didn't value him too highly, but it's also another thing where it's like, well, you know, um, you're you're kind of just like throwing him in here. In this right. So, it feels uh, like a you. It feels like Alexander Walker was not the centerpiece of the CJ McCollum trade, but but a big part of it. This young prospect who was you know recently a mid first round pick, and to give him up for what looks like uh, Joe Ingles bird rights and a late second round pick this year, uh, it's an odd choice. And Ingles' bird rights, like I think, would be valuable for a team trying to compete here in the next couple of years. But if if Portland is truly going to be in a rebuild at that point, then yeah, having you know, the value of Ingles' bird rights, I don't know if it's if it's that substantial. Yeah, they claim they're going to try and, the Blazers, that is, uh, claim they're going to try and compete as soon as next year or the year after. Um, we'll see whether that happens or not. I'm skeptical. Yeah. But it's, at worst, if you retain Joe Ingles using his bird rights, he becomes an interesting tra- trade chip for someone who might be more competitive. Absolutely. All right, let's get to another team uh, along with Portland that was very busy on the trade deadline, and that's the Boston Celtics. And the the most substantial move that they made, which, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to spoil my thoughts on this before I even get to it, but I thought this was the best move of the day that any team made. The Boston Celtics sent Josh Richardson, Romeo Lankford, and their own 2022 first-round pick, which is protected one to four. Yeah. And then also a 2028 first round pick swap right to yes. the San Antonio Spurs for Derek White. How do you feel about this move, Sager? Like you, I loved it. I think that the idea of a Marcus Smart Derek White backcourt pairing seems hellacious defensively. Yes. Um, and this is a guy, Derek White, he can knock down some threes sometimes. And, and to have that kind of lineup where you play. Uh, Marcus Smart, Derek White, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Robert Williams. I mean, that, that sounds is, like a that team. is a killer closing five. Yeah, I wouldn't want to play against that. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of a more terrorizing defensive five than than that in in the entire league. I'd have to double check it. I'm not 100 sure, but I believe Boston has had the best defense by defensive rating since the turn of the calendar year. Yep, and to add a guy like Derek White to that uh, is a scary thought. And I think his skill set also fits. Like I, I was big on the Cavs trying to go after Derek White instead of someone like Karis LeVert, even though and I, and I think the Cavs with with the absence of Rubio and Colin Sexton, they were desperate for on ball creation, right? Even though Derek yeah. White can do that, you know, LeVert is a little bit better at getting his own shot, especially in the mid range. Yeah. So, but Derek White is the superior player in just about every other respect. He's a better defender. He's a better passer. Um, he's he's. Uh, I think he's on a better contract than Lavert, who will have to who will likely be extended here this off season. So yeah, I, I think it's a I think it's a fantastic move. I think he's a fantastic fit with Boston, as you said. He fits right in with that defensive terror of a lineup that they can throw out there. And then also offensively, like they they desperately needed a little more passing, and and I think White's passing is a bit underrated. 
yeah, I think that he's capable on that end. You know, in San Antonio, he was kind of tasked with being that one guard uh, alongside DeJounte Murray. And so the fact that he was even available actually caught me by surprise. Um, and to see a team like Boston, you know, capitalize on a draft pick that they have plenty of young prospects, so they can afford to lose a draft pick for a guy who's, I think, proven and and fits in well with their lineup, offensively and defensively. And again, we're, we're going to get to that Cavs-Lavert deal here in a bit, but um, just as far as what the Cavs threw in in that, which was a which was their own first-round pick, just like what Boston is doing here, they threw in Houston's uh, for second-round pick this year, which is going to be a good second-rounder, and then also a Utah 2027 second, which who knows what the, where that's going to land, um, along with Rubio's, Rubio's uh, contract of salary matching. But like, what as far as assets, which do you think is uh, the more rich offer to get Lavert or White here? What Cleveland did, or what Boston did with the one first and the one pick swap? I tend to place more value on assets that are you know more, I guess, closer to the present, mm-hmm. uh, which to me prefers the offer that Cleveland made for Lavert, which is the first round pick, and then the Houston second. As in you, uh, as opposed- that's, that would be more enticing as the other team. Right, right. Yeah. I, I, if I'm trading a player, I would rather that Cleveland offer than, than the Boston offer. Mm-hmm. To me, I, I wonder if Cleveland even looked uh, the way of Derek White, like if they were just so prioritizing or if they were so focused on on that on-ball creation, we need some scoring, we need some off-the-dribble punch that I wonder if they even called San Antonio looking at a player like Derek White even though he can do the things that they need but he he's just a superior player which is what I think they should be focusing on at this stage but yeah even the fact that we can have this conversation that the package for White and the package for Lavert is similar goes to show you that if the Cavs really valued White they probably could have gotten that done yeah I wonder because for a while like over the last month or two uh, when trade season really picked up, we heard a lot about Indiana kind of doing this fire sale and they had a high asking price for guys like Carrots Levert. Uh, we never heard that kind of noise coming out of San Antonio. They're obviously a much less leaky team. They don't leak that right. much. Um, so you wonder how much of that was there. But uh, to see this kind of player, Derek White, get traded without any sort of expectation of that uh, does make you wonder whether other teams inquired about that. Yeah, San Antonio was very busy. They're not usually, yeah, as you said, they're they're not only a team that, that keeps things under the vest, but they, they typically don't make in-season trades. But they were they were busy today, that's for sure. Did uh, you know their last in-season trade was in 2014? Wow. And then they made four this season alone. <laughs> that is uh, that is something else. Yeah, they they're not prone to doing that, but this could this could uh, indicate that San Antonio is finally sort of turning the page and and potentially moving to a to a new era, we'll we'll have to wait and see on that. But um, yeah, as far as uh, Boston is concerned, again picking up Derek White, which I love for for the amount that they had to give up. And again, he's under contract for three more seasons. His age 28, 29, and thirty seasons, all basically you know between eighteen to twenty million per season, which I think is really really good value for for a quality starting guard. That's a that can that can contribute on both ends of the floor. Uh, another another deal that Boston made, they sent out Dennis Schroeder 
Enos Freedom and Bruno Fernando to Houston for Daniel Tice. Bringing back Daniel Tice, another guy that I know Brad Stevens loves and has fit in well with Boston in the past. Yeah, fan favorite. It's funny how you mentioned Enos Freedom, and I just hearing that name out loud caught me off guard because I'm not used to it yet. <laughs> yeah. um, but to see them go from a guy who wasn't that effective in his time with Boston and who fans were not a fan of to a guy like Daniel Tice, who when he was with them was quite good. Uh, at no real cost, it feels like. Uh, seems like a great move. Yeah, there was a uh, there was a pretty funny tweet I saw that was uh, that was made between the Derek White and Freedom deals. So they had brought in White. They still had Freedom on the roster, and someone commented, "Imagine being on the the broadcast and and saying Freedom on the inbound. He passes up, getting it to Brown, and throws it to White." <laughs> oh my god gotta, gotta love twitter right um yeah <laughs> but but uh yeah i think daniel tice solid solid piece and, and boston of course has multiple centers so i don't know how much time he's going to get but they know he fits into their their system and uh you know solid player he's under contract for a few more years at at, at what between eight and nine million, I believe. Yeah, so roughly that. Maybe slightly overpaid, but not terribly. Like that—that's a reasonable contract for a, a quality backup center. Yeah, and I think like he's insurance, right? If you're starting Al Horford or Robert Williams, guys who have not been the paragons of health, uh, right. having a, a, a backup as capable as Daniel Tice is is nice to have. Yep. Um, so the, the other move was more of a, what seemed to be a, a cash savings for Boston, but they sent out bowl bowl PJ Dozier and a future 2028 second round pick and cash that pick protected picks 31 to 45. And they sent that package to Orlando for the magic's own 2022 second, but that pick is protected 31 to 55. So really, this was just kind of a salary dump from the Celtics. Yeah, and I think Orlando, actually, they ended up waiving P.J. Dozier, um, a guy who obviously is injured right now, I believe, with an ACL injury. Yes. Um, but a guy who, when he was healthy, I quite liked. Um, if there's a team looking to – I don't know if they can if they claim him they can get his bird rights or not, but that kind of caught me off guard for a team who should be collecting assets like Orlando to get rid of him that willingly. Uh, was interesting. Yeah, you know he he's been a guy that uh, I've liked. He's he's got an interesting skill set. He's not the greatest shooter in the world, but uh, he's um, he, he's got some. He's got a decent handle. He's a pretty strong defender, especially as a team defender. Yeah, uh, but but yeah, I mean, I, I think this largely just comes down to teams don't value rotation like even if he is a rotation guy when healthy if he's just kind of a seventh or eighth or ninth man and he's injured uh that i feel like most teams just think we can we can get somebody that can fill that role pretty easily yeah and whether that's true or not i don't know i can't speak to that yeah but uh hopefully you know uh he's gonna be a free agent this summer or he already is actually hopefully he is able to find a team that is willing to to pay him fairly and, and give him minutes. Cause I, I thought he was pretty good when he was healthy. Absolutely. 
So let's move now to a deal that uh, the, the Toronto Raptors made where they sent out Goran Dragic and their own 2022 first round pick, which is protected 1 to 14 in 2022 and then 1 to 13 in 2023 and then becomes two seconds, I believe. Yeah. And uh, they sent that to San Antonio for Thaddeus Young, Drew Eubanks, and the better of Chicago or Detroit's 2022 second round pick, which will obviously be Detroit's. So in essence, like, you know, assuming Toronto makes the playoffs this year, that pick's going to be in the low to mid twenties. Yeah. Probably probably low twenties, but you, and that Detroit second is going to be in the early thirties. So they essentially just dropped about 10 spots in this year's draft to get somebody like Thaddeus Young, who, should help a, a bench that has been arguably the worst in the league this season. I think it's interesting when the trade first got reported as a first round pick and second round pick, rather than what team that second round pick came from, uh, people were surprised, you know, giving up a first round pick for Thaddeus Young seems kind of strange and not a great value, but to pick up a guy that you can plug into your rotation at the cost of moving down 10 spots in the draft, maybe, um, and get a pick, you know, those early second round picks where, Contracts don't have to be guaranteed um, or can be two ways or things like that. And they're not beholden to the rookie scale that itself has value. And so moving down 10 spots to pick up a guy who, if you're attempting a playoff run, which Toronto clearly is, they need that bench help, like you said. And I think that that makes sense for them. It's a, it's a fine value. Yeah. And given that difference between the first and second round picks, I think a lot of GMs would say they'd rather have like the 31st pick than the 29th pick in, in a lot of right. cases, especially if you feel like the, you know, Messiah Jury and, and his team might think that, yeah, the, the quality of player you're getting in this draft at 31 might not be substantially worse than the player you'll get at 23 or, or whatever. So yeah. interesting. Yeah, like Toronto. They're good at finding talent either in the second round or in the undrafted pool. That's something that they've excelled at for a while. And so it makes sense to rely on that skill even more, I think. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, interesting move there. I, I think Thaddeus Young should should be able to help them. And, and Toronto obviously playing really good basketball as of late. So, uh, you know. They're, they're a team on the rise at the moment. Uh, let's let's move on to, we, we brought this up earlier when we were comparing it to the Derek White deal to Boston, but uh, the, the Indiana and Cleveland move, the Pacers sending Karis LeVert and the 2022 Miami second round pick to the Cavs for Ricky Rubio, Cleveland's own 2022 first protected one through 14, Houston's 2022 second and Utah's 2027 second. So, you know, a lot of people will just say, oh, it's the Cavs sending two seconds and getting one back. But really, the Miami second this year has very little value. It's going to be in the 50s, which is it's, you know, those rarely turn out to be a, a, an actual asset as, as far as who's drafted in those spots. And then, yeah, that Houston second is really, really valuable. It's in the same mold as what Toronto's getting. Yes. With that, uh, with that Detroit set second, where it's almost as as uh, it might even be better value than a late or a late late first. So uh, Indiana getting a decent haul there for Levert, but the Cavs getting the guy that they clearly they clearly wanted, and it, and I don't know how much also they factored in the the idea that Levert and Jared Allen had played together and seemed to have a good chemistry while they were in Brooklyn. 
Yeah, I think that that connection is interesting. You know, you tie back both those players leaving Brooklyn in the first James Harden trade about a year and a half ago. Yes. Um, and so seeing them kind of reunited, uh, I'm sure it feels pretty good for the Cavs fans who seem to have made out pretty well in that sequence of, sequence of transactions. Um, and I think the idea of getting a guy like Kyrie Levert who can you know create his own shot off the dribble, um, particularly in the mid range, like you said earlier, um, kind of to replace Colin Sexton, who I think is out for the season with an injury. Um, yeah, get it makes the, sense. The meniscus repair, yeah. Right. Is he gonna? Is, is he a chance to come back or no? I don't believe so. Yeah, he opted for the full repair uh, okay. as opposed to the the shorter that, where they kind of just like snip the meniscus and you can get right. back in four to six weeks. He opted for the, the the basically them stitching it back together, which is a much longer recovery timetable. That makes sense. So when you see a team like Cleveland giving up a first round pick and that Houston second, like you mentioned, for Karis Levert, it makes me wonder, like, as a guy oriented on contracts and the transactions, whether they intend to uh, extend Levert and or let Sexton walk as a free agent, uh, that dynamic interests me quite a bit. Yeah, and there was uh, – I saw some – I don't know how uh, how great of a source this was, but I saw something on Twitter in essence suggesting that Levert and Sexton go back a ways and they were friends as, uh, as youngsters and that Levert would – be willing to take less money for the Cavs to be able to re-sign Sexton, which that's interesting if that's true. Um, but also, you know, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, with uh, with Levert eligible for an extension as early as this offseason, um, you know, I, I don't love the, the idea of them paying him 20 plus million a year for another three or four seasons. And then also, yeah, if this also if this move also means that, yeah, they're going to get rid of Colin Sexton, who, you know, if I'm betting on who's going to be the better player for from 2023 through 2025 or 2026, I'd rather have Colin Sexton than Karis Levert. Me too. Yeah, you know, Sexton is at an age where you would expect him to to get better and better. And yes, he has he has his deficiencies. He's not as big as Levert. Um, you know, he's, he's not, he's not very good defensively. He's not a great passer. Um, but Levert also has a lot of those weaknesses and he's older and, uh, and who knows his contract might be worse than whatever Colin Sexton signs as well. This, this yeah. off season. On the Indiana side, I, how do you feel about this? Cause it, it kind of, to me, signaled like they were starting to, you know, sell their pieces off a little bit. Yeah, I, um. I loved it from Indiana's perspective. I thought this was great value getting, you know, I understand the first round pick is not a great first round pick, but it's not terrible either. It's probably going to be between 20 and 24, something in that range. Um, You know, so, so that's, that's, that's at least an okay first round pick to get. And then, yeah, a very good second round pick. And then that 2027 Utah second, who knows what the jazz are going to be in five plus years, um, you know, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert could be both be gone at that point. Uh, who knows? So that could, could potentially be good. So yeah, I thought they got a decent amount of value for a guy that I think is a relatively flawed player. And I, I also think is, is slightly overpaid on his current contract. Yeah. I think that, you know, when the fruit reports first came out about Indiana shopping guys like Harris Levert, for him in particular, they wanted the two first round picks, which 
nobody thought was fair or reasonable. Um, but so to see them kind of come down from that price a little bit and get the one Cleveland first and that good Houston second round pick, it's not the price they wanted. But I think for Cleveland, it made sense given their positioning in the standings and their attempt to go for that playoff run. Um, so it kind of feels like a mutually beneficial deal. Yeah. And, you know, it seemed like it was uh, the, the response on Twitter was overwhelmingly like the Cavs just fleeced the Pacers, which I couldn't disagree with more. Um, they, they gave up a, a decent amount of, of draft assets in this deal. And also there's the opportunity cost, right, of who could we have traded for instead? Like like I said, they, they probably should have. I would have even been willing to throw in more than this to get the superior player in Derek White. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people are just going to look at this and say, well, you know, Ricky Rubio was was hurt. He's out for the year. And we got a guy that's going to fill in and be our starting two and is going to help us right away. And that's true. Like Levert will obviously help the Cavs this season, but what's more important, like getting marginally better this year or being as good as possible to compete for championships in two or three years time when Garland and Mobley and Allen are at their peak. Right. Would you have considered like, instead of trading this package for someone like Harris Levert, looked at like Eric Gordon potentially? I mean, I wouldn't have given up this much for Gordon, given his age and everything. I think the only reason you give up this package if you're Cleveland is if you feel like this is not only helping us this year, but we're getting a guy that can be a part of our core in years to come. And I believe they they feel like that that is the case with Levert. I just think they should have, you know, if you're throwing in assets to get a guy to, to basically add to your big three of Garland, Allen, and Mobley, I say you swing bigger and get a better player than Lavert. But uh, it, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to to consider. And and yeah, that you know, if if you aren't able to find that guy that you think is is worthy of being like a fourth best player on a championship team, then yeah, you should probably maybe throw in less assets to get that temporary fix like you know Gary Harris was available I think yeah he doesn't fulfill the ball handling as much as they want but he's a guy that I think can help at least a a bit this year and wouldn't have cost nearly as much yeah that all makes sense to me and I wonder if Gary Harris in Orlando gets bought out in the next week or two if he could be a target for them yeah that would be interesting but but you know now that Lavert is in there is is the Cavs is the Cavs guard spot. I mean, yeah, there's, they're still pretty shallow in the guard department, but um, you know, it, it probably would be more appealing for buyout candidates too. If there was just a, a, a starting job available uh, and, and there might be, uh, there might be that available in, in other locations, but yeah, that that's a good point that, that Harrison was not traded today. So there, there's a chance that he could be available here in the near future. Um, the, the other move that Indiana did, uh, they, they sent out Domantas Sabonis, Justin Holiday, Jeremy Lamb, and their own 2023 second round pick to the Sacramento Kings for Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson. This one, this one to me was arguably the most shocking because <laughs> it just kind of, yeah. I mean, I know, I know Sabonis and a lot of the Pacers players were on the market, but I did not get the sense that Tyrese Halliburton was on the market. You and everybody else. <laughs> yeah. 
I think this so this trade happened on Tuesday morning in the aftermath of the CJ McCollum trade. And so as a Blazer fan, I was still kind of reeling from that. Yeah. Uh, so to see this kind of uh, shocking news come through where, you know, the Kings have had their fair share of draft misses. So when they finally hit on one in Halliburton, it seemed like uh, to trade him away so quickly was quite shocking. Yeah. Um, I, my initial reaction to this deal is what are the Kings doing? Um, yes. Same. Uh, but I will say that there was another trade we'll get to shortly that made me feel a little bit better about this one. Um, but, uh, you know, getting DeMontis Sabonis, he is a very, a very good basketball player. He's, uh, in my opinion, slightly a sub-all-star caliber player, but still still very, very good, even though he's made two all-star teams. Um, he, he will help them, and uh, he provides, uh, you know, that, that dribble handoff game, the passing from the, from the high post. He's got a, a smash-mouth post game that can, that can beat switches at times. Uh, he very limited defensively, but not, you know, a terrible defensive player. So, you know, very good guy to get. And uh, it's just a matter of, okay, DeMontis Sabonis also on a reasonable contract, but you've got Tyrese Halliburton on a rookie scale deal. Right. One of the best con- value contracts in the league. And also when you factor in, okay, Halliburton plays the guard position, which is a more valuable position in today's NBA than center. You know, it's easier to find a replacement level center than it is to find a find a replacement level point guard. And you know, I also think Halliburton. I think I, I heard a stat that he's shooting over forty percent on off the dribble threes this year. So you know, his potential as an offensive piece, given his passing, his shooting ability. Uh, his his size, he's you know decently sized for a guard as well. Uh, you know that that is a lot to just you know give up on a year and a half into his career. Yeah, and I think like this is a guy who coming out of college, the concern was that like is his shot going to be his off the dribble shot in particular going to be something that develops the way we would want it to, and and that would be the difference between what like his ceiling. Like as a potential all-star player versus his floor. And and that's it. His shooting is there, like you just said. And so to see them give up all that team control over a player who has who could be pretty could be an all-star potentially, uh, is quite shocking. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about this move for Indiana? I mean, in my mind, they traded Karis Levert and got a couple of valuable draft assets, and then they upgraded their shooting guard position because Tyrese Halliburton <laughs> is better than Karis Liver. Yeah, I think this kind of goes in the, along the line of Indiana rebuilding in the sense that they have this high caliber or high quality uh, guard now who can who can come in and fill in that point guard role. Even though he's a bit bigger. Um, and trading Sabonis kind of the reason that they did this and ended up not trading Miles Turner after that the idea of a Tyrese Halliburton, Miles Turner kind of pairing intrigues me. I like the idea of that. Absolutely. Well, and, and, you know, Miles Turner was de- is dealing with the, the injury currently. So right. that might've scared teams off as well from, from offering as much as Indiana would have wanted for him. But you make a good point that now that Sabonis is out, that was always kind of a, a bit of a clunky fit, right? Turner and right. Sabonis. And that this move not only gets you a, a really promising young guard, 
but now frees things up for Turner and uh, and will potentially maximize Turner's skill set, uh, and especially if they can ever get T.J. Warren back as well. Yeah. Of course, all that doesn't preclude them from trading Turner in the offseason if they wanted to. Right. But now they obviously don't have to, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I really – and, you know, Turner's still very young. I believe he's still 25. So. Oh, really? Uh, I didn't realize uh, that. Yeah. Uh, so they, they've got a nice, uh, ni- nice young core now. Um, and as far as, uh, you know, Sacramento, they get that uh, – they get a center, even though they, they already have – in my mind, a quality center in Rashawn Holmes, although he's been in and out of the lineup with a bunch of issues. I think he had an eye laceration earlier in the year, just a bunch of stuff that has probably prevented Holmes from getting into a sort of rhythm that we've seen and a level of play that we've seen from him in previous years. But uh, now Sacramento kind of, uh, you know, has, has a couple of, of centers there and Sabonis obviously will start. They didn't end up trading Holmes, uh, which, which is interesting. So he's kind of now just, Assuming they they won't play uh, together in the starting lineup, he's just now relegated to backup duty, and he's making a decent amount of money off of that contract he signed last year. Yeah, they just paid him a healthy amount of money to be their starting center, presumably. Uh, so to see this kind of move, I understand that like you're getting a guy who is you know a borderline all star. He's made it a couple times, and and that kind of talent is hard to pass up. Um, at the same time, there's a redundancy there, and like you said it's easier to find that replacement level center, which they have. I think Holmes is a pretty good center uh, than a guy like Tyrese Halliburton, who is, is tough to find in the draft. Now, one reason I, you know, am, am a little more favorable about Sacramento's side of this deal is a, a subsequent move they made today in a, in a four team trade involving Sacramento, Detroit, Milwaukee, and the, the LA Clippers Sacramento ended up getting Dante DiVincenzo from the Bucks. Milwaukee, uh, obviously scared about his restricted free agency and paying him in the offseason. They obviously are, 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 are into the tax already, and they, they uh, probably didn't want to, to pay whatever he was going to ask for. So they, in essence, kind of dumped him. They got the, the Bucks get Serge Ibaka, two second round picks, and cash in return. Um, but for Sacramento, you, yes, you lost Halliburton, but you bring in a, you know, borderline all-star caliber center in Sabonis. And then you fill the, the vacancy that, that Halliburton left with a guy in DiVincenzo, who I like. He's not as good as Halliburton, but it, it's nice to have him there. And, and now Sacramento is back to having three quality young guards in the likes of, of Fox, Davion Mitchell, and DiVincenzo. Yeah, the idea of DiVincenzo fitting next to a, a Fox and Sabonis duo, um, when he's healthy, when DiVincenzo is healthy, that is, uh, and he's shooting well, I think that that four spacing makes a lot of sense next to guys like Fox and Sabonis. Obviously, DiVincenzo was gettable this year, in part because he hasn't been playing as well as he was before his injury last year. Um, and so we hope that that can, that can get back to what we expected. But I think that the fit of him, along with their two main guys, uh, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So in this in this uh, four team deal, the the Kings got Divincenzo. They also picked up Josh Jackson and Trey Lyles from Detroit, and then Sacramento gives up Marvin Bagley the third and a 2024 second round pick, I believe, via Detroit. Is yeah, that I think correct? Detroit. Already, I think Detroit already had that one. Okay. 
So okay. yeah, there's a, there's a lot of moving pieces in this deal. So yeah, I probably will will be incorrect on a few of these, but uh, that's why I've got you here, Sagar. So thank you. Um, yeah. Detroit gets Marvin Bagley and uh, ends up offloading Trey Lyles, Josh Jackson, and two second round picks. Is that correct? Yeah, I believe so. Lot to give up for Bagley, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I was surprised. And then Milwaukee gets Sergi Baca, two second round picks and cash. So you know the Bucks obviously with with Lopez dealing with the back injury or the back sur- recovery from back surgery, I should say. Um, they uh, they get a little bit of insurance with Ibaka, and uh, they get a couple of second round picks for for DiVincenzo and some cash. But uh, you know, not the greatest move if you ask me from the from the Bucks perspective. And then the the Clippers, they get Rodney Hood and Semi Ojale and uh, offload Serge Ibaka in the deal. Yeah, on the Milwaukee side, the idea of them targeting uh, Ibaka as a backup big in case Brook Lopez is not healthy come playoff time, uh, that kind of makes me more concerned. Obviously, back injuries are scary, and you don't want to mess with that. Like it's very dangerous. Um, so obviously we hope Brooke Lopez as well. Um, this kind of reinforces the idea that he's not going to be back in time. Yeah. Um, and so I understand them wanting to give up guys like Rodney Hood and uh, DiVincenzo to kind of re-fortify that. I think their thinking is probably that DiVincenzo, while nice to have, is expendable when you have guys like Grayson Allen and Pat Connaughton. I don't agree with that, but I get the logic. Absolutely. So uh, we've got just a couple more deals to get through Sagar and uh, we'll, uh, we'll and the, these are kind of more of the minor variety, but uh, another move by the Pacers, they sent Tory Craig to the Phoenix Suns for Jalen Smith and the Suns own 2022 second round pick. Uh, I, I like this move for Phoenix. I thought Tory Craig was a good fit on their team last year, contributed in their playoff run. and. He's another guy that, uh, although it didn't it didn't work that well when they they matched up against Giannis in the finals. It is nice to just have some of those guys like a Jay Crowder, like a Tory Craig, those those beefier wings that can that can handle more of the powerful forward types. Yeah, and obviously they didn't give up much to get him right a second round pick. That'll probably be the last pick in the draft. Um, yeah, and then Jalen Smith, the guy who had his had his fourth year team option declined and. He's looked better this season, but but for them, with their big rotation of Bisnack, Bayombo, JaVale McGee behind DeAndre Ayton, he was expendable for them. So I, I get the logic, and I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, and Indiana, you know, again, we, we talked about them offloading Sabonis, so there might be some some center minutes there, although they've got a couple of other guys, uh, a couple of youngsters in, in Batadze as well as uh, Isaiah Jackson who is the, I, believe, I think the 22nd pick in the draft. So yeah. m- maybe Jalen Smith will be in a similar situation where he's behind two or three centers in, in Indiana, but uh, you know, Indiana can take a look at him, see what they think and also get a, uh, yeah, as you said, a, a crappy second round pick, but they're not going anywhere. And uh, I don't think Tory Craig was a part of their long-term plan. So not at all, nothing to really be uh, that, uh, that upset about if you're a Pacers fan. So uh, another move here, the Miami Heat sent uh, KZ Akpala to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And uh, this is a bit confusing to describe here, but uh, it essentially involves a Miami Heat first round pick. 
And what the Heat were trying to accomplish here is to free up a first round pick to trade potentially this offseason or next trade deadline. Um, but Oklahoma City owned a Miami Heat 2023 first. It was protected 1 to 14 in years 2023, 2024, and 2025, and then becomes unprotected in 2026. And what essentially took place is the Heat essentially got that pick back and instead sent the Thunder a 2025 first round pick. And that's protected one to 14 that year and then unprotected in 2026. So what the Thunder are essentially getting from this deal is that they're getting a little bit more variability with where that pick might end up because instead of it potentially falling uh, best case scenario at the 15th pick and between picks 15 and 30 for three years and then becoming unprotected. Now those protections are just for one year prior to it becoming unprotected. So, you know, basically Sam Presti is increasing the Thunder's chances of them getting that pick unprotected in 2026, which, you know, adds value to that, uh, that selection. Yeah, you know, that far out, you don't know what's going to happen in the NBA. That three or four year time span is is an eternity. Yeah. Um, whereas in 2023, it seems safe to assume. I mean, it's not a given, but it seems safe to assume Miami is probably going to be pretty good next season as well. Yeah. So getting that extra variability of uh, Miami's pick when they might be bad is, uh, is worth making that deal for. Right. Like theoretically, they, you know, without making this move, they probably get this pick in the 20s next year and instead this could be the number one pick in 2026 like that's the kind of variability we're talking about here and so Presti I think making a great move here to to a profit on the upside of the Heat wanting to get an additional asset and then you know for the Heat obviously how this pick turns out will uh will determine this trade and then also you know what they're able to do with the draft picks that they freed up from this maneuver also will impact, you know, how we grade this trade in, in a year or two. Right. I kind of, when this trade came through, it was very under the radar and and no reporter had reported it until the teams themselves did. Um, But my first uh, reaction was what's their next trade going to be? Because you don't usually make that kind of trade to free up a pick to to trade later without having that lined up already. and so they didn't do that yet. Maybe they will in the offseason. But it feels like they have something up their sleeve. Um, and that'll obviously, depend, that'll obviously factor into how you judge this trade in particular. All right, we've got one left, Sire. We're down to the, to the final one, and it is a very insignificant, <laughs> a pretty insignificant <laughs> move. The Phoenix Suns sending cash to the Washington Wizards and uh, acquiring Aaron Holiday. And uh, you mentioned before we started recording that this wasn't a great deal for the Wizards, given a move they had made for Holiday just, what, six months ago? Yeah, back in the uh, 2021 draft, they uh, included this trade with the Pacers as a part of the big Russell Westbrook five-team trade, where in that trade, they had gotten the number 22 pick from the Lakers. They gave that to Indiana for 31 and Aaron Holiday. So they moved back nine spots to get Aaron Holiday, and now just months later are trading him away for cash alone. And that does not look great. Right. And for Phoenix, I suppose this is just another depth guard. Uh, and, and, and that's something I think the Suns did, you know, again, on the fringes did well, 
uh, just adding a adding like a, a third point guard in Holiday and adding a third uh, four man in in Tory Craig. That uh, yeah, it just gives you a little bit more depth, a little bit more uh, versatility with some of the lineups you can throw out there. And uh, you know, um, if if God forbid injuries happen, they're a little bit more well suited to deal with it. Right. Obviously, you hope that doesn't happen. And best case scenario, it's an insignificant move. But to be able to get a guy, a, a first round prospect not long ago for just cash, who you can then try and develop in your own system with Monty Williams, a good head coach, uh, it's a worthwhile move. All right, Sagar. So we, we got through them all. Let's just do a quick wrap up here and, and tell me, uh, you know, what are, you know, you name one or two teams for each of these categories, but who are your winners and losers based on your, your first reaction from this trade deadline? I liked what Boston did quite a bit, picking up both Derek White and uh, Daniel Tice. I thought that given the cost that they got those two guys at, uh, they were the clear winner to me. Um, in terms of a loser, it's kind of hard to pick uh, just because it doesn't feel like there was any one team that made a disastrous or egregious move. I don't like what Dallas did in particular. I guess the Porzingis for Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans trade is still peculiar to me. Yeah. But uh, but there are ways to explain that that though I don't agree with, I can understand. And you can, like there's great. there's a reality where Spencer Dinwiddie plays really well in a playoff series, and and all of right. a sudden people are looking at this trade differently. That that's possible. Right. Or if Brunson walks in the free in the summer then Dinwiddie becomes a key part of their team moving forward. And so I can understand that. Yeah. Um, but it still, it still feels weird. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree with you on, on Boston being a winner. Um, I would also say Indiana. I would also yeah. call Indiana a winner from, from this deadline. Loser, losers, I would probably go with, uh, and again, th- these teams didn't make big deals, but Utah and Milwaukee, I think they had, um, you know, Utah in particular had an opportunity to, to make an actual upgrade and they chose cost savings and, uh, you know, um, a future asset in Nikhil Alexander Walker over yeah. a guy that can, can be a part of their rotation and, and make them better and address some of their weaknesses because they still have some weaknesses. Yeah. Uh, there, there's definitely a perimeter defensive issue and a guy like Robert Covington, I think would have been a great fit on the jazz. And um, he seemed, you know, eminently gettable. <laughs> this yes. uh, is straight deadline. Very clearly. Uh, and then uh, Milwaukee, you know, choosing the cost savings of getting rid of DiVincenzo when I, you know, similar to the Malcolm Brogdon thing from a few years ago yeah. where you've got a young shooting guard that you, if you're willing to just pay the tax, you can keep. And they choose not to. And uh, the what you get for that is a couple seconds and Serge Ibaka, who – uh, Ibaka like maybe could help them, but he, he seems a little bit washed from what I've seen this year. Yeah. He himself has had his own back injuries. Not like, pretty recently, I think. Yeah. And so it's a weird choice to ensure a, a, a center with a back injury by getting a center coming off of that back injury. Yeah. And you can also say that the Milwaukee is a bit of a loser because arguably Brooklyn and Philadelphia got better. Yeah, maybe Brooklyn didn't. You could probably say, arguably, you know, trading Harden in that deal. But I guess compared to the Harden they were getting, compared to the Harden that was, you know, not really trying and and pretending that he had a groin injury or whatever it was, yes. uh, you know, they probably got better than 
they're better now than they were yesterday and Philadelphia as well. Uh, I've heard a lot of people still suggest that the Bucks are the clear favorites in the East, and I don't necessarily feel that way at this point. I don't think it's clear by any means. I mean, Miami is obviously I – th- I think they're the number one seed, at least coming into the games today. Um, but you have Miami, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and Brooklyn, like you said, and I think we're forgetting somebody. Chicago maybe? And Cleveland. Pretty high up in the standings. Cleveland as well. So it's, it's all very compact in the standings, and uh, I don't know who the favorite is, honestly. Yeah. Well, Sagar, I've had you on here long enough. I appreciate uh, your expertise and, and, and obviously you having uh, all of the details in, in all of these trades. I appreciate your time. And, and again, thanks for, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. Corbin Ford and Gary Bouguet here with you. And uh, just wanted to, to quickly say before we wrap up, uh, please subscribe, rate, and review Duncan Dynasty. We're on, uh, we're on iTunes. We're on Spotify, wherever you get your, uh, your podcast. That is uh, much appreciated. You can find me on uh, Twitter at Garrett Bouguet. Corbin, why don't you tell the people what you got going on? Oh, man, you can find me on Twitter at Corbin NBA. Uh, definitely make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. I mean, following me is just an afterthought here. But if you want some more NBA content from yours truly, uh, check out Round Ball Ramble. Um, it is my podcast. You can also find uh, the description uh, on my Twitter handle, on on, once you click on my Twitter handle. Uh, definitely check that out. And, uh, yeah, a bunch of other um, assorted pods. I love talking hoops just like my friend Gary does. So you know where to find me there. That's the main part to catch my work. Yeah, can't recommend Round Ball Ramble enough. Corbin does does great stuff there, and I've appeared on it numerous times and uh, <laughs> hopefully will be uh, continuing to appear on it in the future. Again, we appreciate you all for listening and, of course, enjoy the next week in the NBA calendar. Does your health routine for the new year include eye care? Well, now that you can use your renewed vision benefits, it's easy to add it to the routine. Visit pearlvision.com and schedule exams for the whole family. They work with all major vision plans, including iMed, and they'll cover your cost of insurance, copay, or eye exam. Valid prescription required. Valid at participating locations. Restrictions apply. Taxes extra. See store for details. Ends 331-2023. Exams available at the Independent Doctor of Optometry at or next to Pearl Vision. Some doctors employed by Pearl Vision.